0: it's time for cover two broncos
1: just a couple dudes breaking down scheme film and the numbers now your host joe rowels welcome
2: back to another episode of cover two broncos i am joe rowels and today i have the privilege to talk to nick Pilato. if you guys do not follow nick on twitter you need to Uh, He is at Nick Falato and it is F-A-L-A-T-O on Twitter. He writes and talks for Big Blue View uh, and Big Blue Banter. Uh, And he's a film guy that I have kept up with for years now. So I am glad that I had the kind of the the excuse to actually finally pick your brain on Cover 2 Broncos. So thank you for joining me
1: joe thank you so much for having me i gotta say man you don't sound like will arnett because you're bojack horseman on twitter but your voice doesn't translate it's true
2: i the first time i actually made cover two broncos the episode i had like three dms from people they were like wait i did not think you sounded like that i was like yeah i'm sorry i'm not actually a horse either
1: you see i was gonna ask you are you a horse or not but i i would imagine you know you do cover the broncos that's true
2: it's, it's kind of <laughs> like on the inside on the you know i internalize that but yeah, so I don't, I don't even really kind of, so both these teams kind of enter this weekend, like this is a big game, like for both teams. And I think like, and, and I, and I've talked to you about this already, but like in a lot of ways, before the quarterback competition in Denver, I kind of saw this team, the giants is kind of like a mirror image in a way of the Broncos. And the fact that young quarterback embattled, like kind of like kind of having to prove himself, the team has spent a lot to surround him with talent and it's kind of like put up or shut up time. And then the Broncos bench drew lock. So like they have decided that he was not up to the task, at least so far they they decided that Teddy Bridgewater is a better option, but that's kind of what it looks like from afar for the giants. Like is they're kind of in that mode, like Daniel Jones, this is his chance to prove that he is the guy this year.
1: Yeah, Joe, that's been the, the big talking point I would say throughout the the offseason is Daniel Jones is entering a make-it-or-break-it type of season because Dave Gettleman in this front office made a really, really concerted effort to add skilled explosive playmakers. You bring in Kenny Galladay to be the prototypical X type of receiver for Jason Garrett's offense, something Garrett has had basically – his entire coaching career, he's had a Dez Bryant, he's had a Terrell Owens, he's had a Miles Austin. So Kenny Galladay can fill that role on the backside of three-by-one sets to possibly create matchups if they get a free access. You know Jason Garrett loves to run those quick curls that he ran quite often last year. Maybe some of it was because of necessity because Daniel Jones, which our quarterback first year in that offense, second year, young quarterback who was turnover prone the year before Jason Garrett has come out and said – you wanted to mitigate those turnovers, and he did, but at the expense of some explosive plays. But there's a lot kind of going on there, a lot to look into. The offensive line definitely didn't help out the scenario. But to circle back to your original question, yeah, Daniel Jones, I mean, he had to make a decision on his fifth-year option next May. You add Kadarius Toney as well. You get a healthy Saquon Barkley back. He needs to kind of clean up the processing that I feel like he, he hasn't done An excellent job with quite yet sometimes things flash on the screen and he can get rid of the football and he just he burps the baby a little bit too much and he just doesn't get rid of the ball doesn't pull the trigger on it and this is the nfl if you question yourself for a split second you're done especially against a pass rushing duo of von miller and bradley chubb so i mean i'll be watching that this week but this something throughout the season i hope to see from daniel jones because last year we saw some positive strides i would say now, it didn't really translate in the stats whatsoever, but you saw him kind of manipulate safeties and single high looks pretty solidly, especially on those four verts that he had success running in 2019 in Pat Shermer's game and last year in 2020 with Jason Garrett. You saw him look off that safety, come back get a one-on-one advantageous matchup, even if it was to Golden Tate on a slot fade. He would put a pretty good ball out there. And I would say that he, he throws a pretty solid deep ball. He doesn't have an elite arm. I don't think he has those elite justin herbert patrick mahomes type of uh physical capabilities a lot of people kind of compare him to josh allen oh he can make that josh allen third year leap joe honestly man like he he doesn't have that kind of physical ability that josh allen has i think he can be a a good quarterback in this league like uh, i'm talking maybe you know top 18 something like that maybe top 15 if everything goes right for him but he has to put it all together this year. This is the year that it's going to have to happen. And he has a coordinator that didn't necessarily maximize yards after the catch last year for him and an offensive line. that's going to be problematic. So there's some things stacked against him, but it's definitely something that could materialize and we'll get glimpses of it in week one against your Denver Broncos.
2: Yeah. I mean, it would be huge for him if he can kind of come out of this game because I, I mean, even without, so as we say, you know, as we're chatting, Bradley Chubb looks like he is going to be listed as questionable. Uh, he's been a limited participant in practice for two weeks now. Um, and based on what Fangio has said over the last couple of days, I don't expect him to play. Or if he does play, I do expect him to be very limited. Uh, Fangio today said he is obviously not 100%. Um, and those are the kind of things you kind of like – he's like softballing his way into basically being like, we're going to test him out right for the game. And if he's not looking like he's up to it, they won't play him. But even without, even if Bradley Chubb does not play, this Broncos defense should be pretty good. They should be a pretty good test for Jones. And the way Fangio rotates his safeties, I do expect that to put a lot of stress on Jones having to process pre-snap versus post-snap reads, just because when a safety spins like that, all of a sudden the look is going to be different. Um, And the Broncos use a lot of cover six. They mix in a decent bit of cover three. They do a lot of zone match. Um, So a lot of charting stuff gives them a lot of man coverage, but, Last year, especially, like, I don't know if they were running that much man compared to, like, what the analytics say. Whereas, like, I think they were running a lot of zone match. But now that they have Patrick Sertan, now that they've gone out and got Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, the secondary is good enough that they could run man, like, just straight up man up on the the receivers. And the fact that the Giants have – they dealt with a lot of injuries. You and I have chatted about this. Kenny Galladay was limited early in camp, hasn't gotten to practice much. I know Tony has been limited for a big chunk. So do you expect them to play?
1: Yes. I expect both those players to play. I expect Saquon Barkley to play. I would say the one player that I don't expect to play is Evan Ingram. He actually might've already been ruled out right before we started recording this. I don't expect to see him at all. So I think you're going to see a lot of Caden Smith and a lot of Kyle Rudolph, somebody not a lot of people are really talking about because he dealt with the foot surgery through the offseason. The giants said they were going to sign him, Then they, found out he had the foot injury. They honored the contract that they gave him. That's the Giants organization, stand-up, button-up organization. Kyle Rudolph seems like he's going to be healthy. I think he's going to actually be a a low-key, big part of this offense because we know Jason Garrett loves those 12 and 13 personnel packages. I want to say that he ran 12 personnel, like 27% of the time last year, which was one of the top teams. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of tight ends, and they love stick. They love the stick concept. They love the spacing concept. And honestly, Evan Ingram was sort of a – square peg in a round hole in that role i know that rhymed that's pretty cool but he was uh he was last year because he's not the type of player that you want running five yards up the field breaking back sinking his hips breaking back towards a quarterback and having to quickly concentrate on a ball that's already been released from the quarterback's hands his concentration isn't that great his catching ability is is marginal at best whereas kyle rudolph is one of the best catching tight ends in the National Football League is incredibly soft hands. He's a nuanced route runner, but he's just not the athlete that Evan Ingram has. And there's something among giant fans, Joe, that like we always um, somewhat complain about. It seems like Evan Ingram, he was drafted in 2017 first round to be that tight end who can split two high looks, split the seam, and kind of be a thorn in the defensive coordinator's side. And he's never really been utilized to that potential quite yet. And this is the third coaching staff now. You had McAdoo, you had Shermer, who you're well aware of, and now you have Jason Garrett. And last year that wasn't necessarily his prime utilization. I think the best way you can utilize a healthy Evan Ingram is to get him up the scene, get him on drag routes against linebackers or even star type of defenders. He's athletic enough to where you can outrun them and he'll be a lot bigger than those types of players. But we haven't necessarily seen that materialize. but in terms of Sunday, I think you're still going to see a decent amount of 12 personnel and they love using Caden Smith as a blocker on their base favorite counter GH counter type of run where he kind of just, Follows the backside guard who kicks out the end man on the line of scrimmage, and he just finds the most dangerous man in the hole, typically the alley defender, and just absolutely annihilates him. Caden Smith has come a long way as a blocker from being like a six-round pick by the 49ers back in 2019. So he's a name to monitor, but behind those two, you're not looking great at the tight end. You're going to have to promote one of these guys who are on the practice squad right now. either the kid from Miami they just picked up, or Ryan Izzo has a history with – Uh, Joe judge. So I'm, I guess, intrigued to see what exactly happens there.
2: One thing I am curious about with that, because if the, if the giants are going to run a lot of 12 uh, last year, the giants ran quite a bit of gap concepts Uh, more. I want to say it was second in the league when I was looking at sports info solutions, charting Um, the Broncos actually had a lot of problems with it. And by design, I think the Broncos defense kind of concedes a little bit of that because the way they, they rely on a safety coming down from, from the third level to help and run defense, it gives an opportunity for linemen if they're pulling to basically get a chance to kind of tee off on a DB. So that's, that is one area where I do think that if the giants are going to go run heavy, that could be problematic. Um, what do you think?
1: I think you're going to see a run-heavy approach, to be honest. I think it's going to be similar to the two games last season that the Giants played against the Washington football team, which ended up being victories, but it wasn't because the offense was a powerhouse. I think in the second game, the Giants had like five turnovers, and the first one, Tate Crowder returned like a, I don't know, like a 45-year-old, uh, 45-yard year 45 fumble for a touchdown to squeak out like a 20-19 to win. So you're talking about some like questionable – questionable offensive outputs right there but those are the game plans that i expect i expect an attempt to try and establish the run i expect a lot of quick game a lot of slant flat a lot of spacing concept a lot of maybe double double uh slants to one side double curls to the other like just very very simplistic concepts that you can try to gauge what the defense is doing pre-snap based off their leverage and then make a decision post-snap, see what you like, and then fire the football, get it out of your hands. I don't think they want to put Andrew Thomas or Matt Parrott slash Nate Solder on an island against either of these pass rushers, even if Bradley Chubb is uh, injured. And then you also have Malik Reed, who had a pretty good season last year for you guys as well. So I expect a, a run-heavy approach, and I expect the Giants, they, I think they could, I know their offensive line takes a lot of crap, but I think they could be able to generate some push at the point of attack. They love the power gap, like you said. And, I, and like I said before, that counterplay is their favorite one. I think, I mean, Wayne Gallman running it last year was solid, but Saquon Barkley running it, you give him a defined hole, you take away the decision-making from Saquon Barkley and you set, tell him, follow that blocker you get him matched up with a safety. If he's 80% of what he was, I mean, he, he can make that man miss. He can run through, he can do so many different things. And I know that I wanted to ask you about this as well. I know you guys are getting Mike Purcell back. Who was your guy's nose tackle last year. Do you think, uh, how do you view the overall run defense with him being inserted in it? How do you, how do you think that you guys can kind of hold up against the power gap concepts now that you have some more healthy bodies coming back?
2: I mean, I think getting Mike Purcell back, is, I mean, I think the run defense is going to be significantly better than it was last like over the numbers of last year, uh, just because I've actually dug into this. Um, I've dug into the numbers, and I've obviously watched quite a bit of it. But uh, Mike Purcell was playing about 43% of the snaps leading up to his injury um, because the Broncos lost Jarell Casey. And then at one point, Shelby Harris and Draymond Jones were both dealing with injuries as well. Uh, so Mike Pur- Purcell was playing more, and then he got to the Chiefs game, and he got hurt, and then basically – the bottom fell out of the Broncos run defense because the offense, the defensive line hollowed out. Um, He is good at the point of attack. He does a good job with standing double teams and kind of just neutralizing them. Uh, But the thing that really makes him like, to me, what makes him kind of pop as a nose tackle is he's quicker than he's given credit for. Um, And that shows up mostly against zone. So I don't know how that will actually influence this matchup, but against like the Titans, the Titans run a surprising amount of outside zone and Purcell is really good at crossing face and then, creating problems. Cause he screws up the blocking scheme. Um, I think he might be somebody who, le- who basically neutralizes a blocker at the point of attack and allows Josie Jewell or Alexander Johnson to run free. Um, and I do know that he's a more important player than a lot of people give him credit for because the Broncos did what they could to essentially insure themselves against another injury by signing Shamar signing Shamar Stevens. Sorry, that's a tongue twister. Uh um, and Shamar and Shamar Steven is, uh, in a lot of ways he's, not quite as stout, I think, at the point of attack as Purcell was. Is he's a little bit quicker and he's long and he does a good job using that length, uh, because the Broncos play a lot of gap and a half with their interior defensive alignment, and Purcell's really good at it.
1: Yeah, and no, we play a lot of gap and a half, two gap uh, type mm. of defense as well. A lot of tight front with the four eye to the strength typically three technique is usually leonard williams before i last year is dexter lawrence a lot of people think he's just a nose tackle which is a big misconception with dexter lawrence he he can really wreck a lot of game plans he, he's a beast and i'm expecting him to have a really solid season but dalvin tomlinson the loss of him on the defense i mean you're gonna have to have austin johnson or or uh, danny shelton step in to be your nose tackle to kind of eat up those a gaps if you want to run those similar fronts i mean danny shelton profiles as a ideal fit for that but let's see it in action first but I wanted to ask you, do you guys – does your defense – I don't want to transition off the offense. I'm sure we'll go back and forth.
2: Yeah. But does
1: your defense line up on four eye shades? Are they more eagle front out in the five uh, five technique? Or how exactly do you guys line up when you guys are in a three down front?
2: Oh, man. Uh, when we're in a three down front, it's usually a shade with the nose, uh, basically like a one, um, like slightly off. Uh, and then I would say a four eye mostly. Um, and that and that does a better job of using Draymond Jones than like asking him to play as an actual five, uh, because Draymond Jones is a little bit short for like that was like the concern when they first drafted him, just because and again, like this is they drafted Draymond Jones when Vic Fangio was first hired, so like there was some question as to like how he would fit. But up until that point, the Broncos had Adam Gotsis and Derek Wolf who were like prototypical fives, um, in that they were like six foot five, three hundred pounds, whereas Draymond's like six three, 280. And he doesn't have the length that they do. Um, and again, like the Broncos, I would say it, if you guys go a lot of 12, I would say that the Broncos will match that with base, but the Broncos ran nickel. I want to say 75% of the time, nickel or dime and throughout camp, uh, the buzz out of camp. And again, I wasn't there, so I didn't see it, but the buzz out of camp is the Broncos are looking to run more dime than they were previously.
1: With the linebacker be Johnson or jewel there.
2: That's what I was wondering. Um, cause based on everything I've watched, Alexander Johnson was the better player last year, but the reports out of camp was Josie Jewell actually was mainly the guy. And when I spoke with, uh, the Gazette's George Stoya, one of the things he brought up and Ryan Halloran from the Denver post actually said this as well. The thing with Josie Jewell is he's the guy that usually was making the calls in the middle. Um so I think the coaching staff trusts him to be assignment sound more than Alexander Johnson. Uh because at one point when Jewel was hurt, they actually had Sternod there, and that's the Broncos third linebacker. And, Wait for it. yeah, Yep. But they had Sternod there over Alexander Johnson. So that to me is a sign that it'll probably be Jewel.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, I know a lot of people who pay attention to college football will flash back to the Iowa Penn State game from 2017 with Saquon Barkley against Josie Jewel. Jewel didn't do terrible in that game, but there was the one highlight where Barkley got to the edge and it just, I mean, Barkley's just a different athlete out there. And I'm mean, Giants fans. We're really, really excited to get Saquon back. And well, I mean, I'm not hundred percent certain what's going to happen. Um, actually, it seems like if Dave Gettleman is still in charge, just to deviate a little bit from this game that Saquon Barkley may be resetting the running back market, which is definitely something that myself and my co-host Dan Schneier are uh, not necessarily for, but we'll see. And we'll tackle that when it happens, Joe.
2: (laughs) Well, and the thing, like I loved Barkley when it came out, I thought again, like this is going, you know, a little bit off the rails. Like I, I always have had an issue and this is honestly similar in a, in a way to the Broncos trading up to get Javante Williams. I had Javante Williams as the number one running back in this, this last draft class. But I always question, like, the process of giving up significant capital to get a running back, which is nothing against the player themselves. It's not, you know, it's not his fault that the way running back works. The, the, and, and part of it for me is just the fact that rushing production is so dependent on the play caller and then the other 10 players and then what the defense does. So it's just it's really hard to reward that kind of investment. That said, like, that's not taking anything away from Barkley. Barkley as a breakaway threat is scary. I went and looked at uh, – so when I, again, I look at a lot of football outsiders numbers just because I like the way they adjust for opponent. And I like the fact that they measure efficiency rather than just the, you know, the raw totals. And by Absolutely. the, by the efficiency numbers, you guys had the 11th best rushing attack last year without Barkley basically for the entire year. But the two areas where you guys were a little bit behind that was a second level in open field uh, yards, which reflects the running back situation. Um, which makes and, Barkley, sense. and Barkley will help that a lot. I would think yeah. he's healthy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's also something because a lot of people railed against Jason Garrett last. And I think Garrett deserves a lot of criticism, but I think sometimes it can become unfair because people are railing against his lack of usage on, on the running backs out of the backfield. But I'm like, that's not really Wayne Gallman's game. Devonta Freeman was basically gone after like week five. And then you had Alfred Morris, who actually caught a touchdown pass against the S- Seattle Seahawks when the Giants went up there and upset them. But... The, those probably weren't your most advantageous ways to move the football, was to utilize those specific people. Because once you get the football in their hands, they're not going like like that stat alludes to, they're not going to make a lot of people miss. Whereas Saquon Barkley, I really hope to see Garrett implement him into the passing attack, whether that be through screens, whether that be through Texas route, which is that angle route. It just get him matched up against the linebacker, get him matched up and make make the defense be put into a situation where it's, hey, I got to make this tackle where this is going to be at least a 15 to 20 yard gain. That's what we're hoping to see because you're not going to see a lot of five-step drops in in this game. You're going to see Daniel Jones getting rid of the football quickly. It's going to be a lot of quick, quick, quick. And that's honestly what I want to see because I don't want to see Von Miller teeing up against Nate Solder I don't want to see Bradley Chubb if healthy or Reed going up against Andrew Thomas who is struggling to just frame his block and stay square he's just been very very undisciplined as of right now and I'm not writing the kid off or anything but you need to see more from the fourth overall pick from last season I mean a lot of people we might be overreacting a little bit to the preseason game but I don't necessarily think Andrew Thomas has earned the right for us not to overreact right now because of what we saw last year and what we saw in a little bit in the preseason
2: well, and, and to your point with Garrett, uh, for all the criticism, like that's what a good coordinator does is they adjust to the fact that if my tackles are struggling like that, it's on me to call a more quick game to try and protect them. And from the Broncos' perspective, for those listening, that is one reason why you guys shouldn't, like, lose your minds if the Broncos do not generate a lot of sacks in this game. Yet, yeah, like, and this is a whole, you know, like chicken and the egg argument. And I know you understand this, Nick, but like, A lot of fans look at edge rushers and the first thing you see is sacks. And if they don't get sacks, they're doing badly. And that's not true. Like if the Broncos are creating pressure or the giants have to alter their game plan based on the threat that they present, the Broncos pass rushers are still doing their job, if they're creating that pressure anyway. And then it's on everybody else to kind of do their part. So again, guys, if Von Miller does not get three sacks in this game, it's okay. Uh, it's basically, I want him to rush Daniel Jones. I want him to, you know, force some mistakes, but I'm I'm not worried about the sack total.
1: No, and uh, I wouldn't be either if I was a Denver Broncos fan because Garrett is going, and this is kudos to Jason Garrett and myself and Dan, On the podcast last year gave credit to garrett after both of those washington games which weren't exciting offensive outputs as we said before but guess what they didn't put daniel jones in a position to turn the football over they didn't put their at that time rookie tackles with matt perrin and andrew thomas out on islands against chase young and montez sweat don't let them beat you with their with their biggest strength just try to mitigate them run the football don't allow them to pin their ears back. Try not to get in the third and long situations where they have the opportunity to pin their ears back and just get the football out of your hands with quick, easy concepts, slant flat, slant curl. If you want to take a shot, you could run an Ohio concept and try to get the the hit the number two on the out route. Or if it's not there, you can check the football down to a running back. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to just get the football out of your hands and kind of limit what the effect of von miller and bradley chubb will have but then again if you try to take a shot on first and ten which jason garrett will do once in a while he does it on first and ten try to hit a play action shot if it doesn't work then you're in second and ten then what's going to happen and if you don't pick up you know four yards then you're in third and ten on or third and eight if you pick up two yards if you decided to run the football on second and ten and you could be in a really really bad spot in those situations so we're going to hope that the broncos don't have many of those situations
2: it's funny hearing you say that, because that's honestly, if you change Garrett's name to Shermer, that sounds like a lot of the arguments that Broncos fans have made about Shermer is basically like, why isn't he, why isn't he just throwing more? Or why is he calling, you know, how do we end up on second and 10? Well, they're not running enough. And it's like, well, if you run and they stop you, then you're on second and 10. Or if you call it a play action shot, it doesn't go anywhere. You have second long, um, which, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, I have one question for you. I feel like the Broncos defense does have a note on paper. At least they should have the advantage in that matchup Broncos defense versus the giants offense yeah. Broncos offense. I think like I am very optimistic about what this offense is going to look like, because I think inserting Teddy Bridgewater is going to open up the offense more than a lot of people expect, not to say he's a world beater, but just the fact that he's a competent quarterback. He knows the offense. He can audible in and out of stuff. He can, you know, put the ball in the right hands. But the Giants' defense is pretty good, and you alluded to this with the defensive line. Even without Tomlinson, I do think the Broncos are going to have a lot of trouble running the ball. Uh, so it's going to probably put it in Teddy Bridgewater's hands to have to try and move the ball with a quick game and try and get the ball to Jerry, Judy, Quilton, Sutton. How do you like those matchups with the Broncos' receivers versus the cornerbacks
0: of the Giants? Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect.
1: So the Broncos receivers against the cornerbacks of the Giants, the with the Dory Jackson healthy now, this is going to allow Patrick Graham, who was a very zone-heavy type of coordinator last year. That was because of the personnel. That was because of Isaac Yitem, who they traded for Josh Jackson to the Green Bay Packers earlier this uh, in training camp, that's the reason why they were, I think, in zone a lot. And also zone coverage is is also something that gives you a lot of other advantages. You can play kind of in front of you. You can see the route concepts break down. I think something that James Bradbury may be a little bit better at zone than he is at man. But I also think James Bradbury is arguably a top five corner in this league. I think he's somebody who hasn't really gotten the um, – the love that a lot of the other bigger cornerbacks have received i think i mean i look at it and i have a lot of questions on how pat Shermer is going to utilize jerry judy because i look at jerry judy probably as your guy's biggest threat as a wide receiver james bradbury is a player who will travel he's played on the left side he's played on the right side in preseason this year he played a couple snaps in the slot following i think it was jacoby myers it might have been nelson aguilar it's irrelevant so if you guys put Jerry Judy in the slot, because I believe you used him in the slot about a third of the snaps last year for him. And then you can create a matchup against Darnay Holmes, a second-year player who we like Darnay Holmes, but Darnay Holmes gets very, very grabby, gets a little bit undisciplined in in space. He was a boundary corner at UCLA, but he's too small to play that in the NFL, so he gets relegated to the slot. The transition's been adequate, I would say. But if you guys adjust and put Jerry Judy against Darnay Holmes, I think you can get a real advantage. But I think the Giants may combat that by moving James Bradbury in the slot, And I think James Bradbury is good enough to lock down a lot of these receivers. I think he would lock down a player like Cortland Sutton who's maybe not as explosive. Jerry Judy's one that actually does worry me because Jerry Judy's just one of the most incredible route runners in the league. He just got secured the football. He can't, can't drop football so much like, like he did last season. And then Adoree Jackson, I think, is somebody who's going to allow Patrick Graham to run man coverage, run a lot more cover one kind of things. I mean, I don't know if they're going to run a lot of cover zero or anything like that. It's not really necessarily their thing. Like I said, we're we're kind of entering a nebulous area since the personnel is there to allow Patrick Graham to run more man coverage like he did down when he was the defensive coordinator in Miami. But I think Adoree Jackson could... I think the Giants cornerbacks could have an advantage if Adoree Jackson and James Bradbury get lined up with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, but all it takes is one play. Now you have to also factor in the safeties here because Patrick Graham loves running trap type of coverages. Logan Ryan is one of the best at baiting uh, the robber position. One of the best with slice coverage, allowing that number two, you know, number two receiver goes inside. Logan Ryan is just waiting for that. And he's just going to jump the route. We saw him get an interception in an inverted cover two look against Washington football team to seal that second victory against Alex Smith, where inverted cover two, he stepped down because pre-snap, he was the deep middle of the field safety. And then the boundary cornerback and the number two apex defender dropped to the deep halves. That's something that they ran quite a bit down the stretch of the season against younger quarterbacks. I think we would have saw it a lot against Drew Locke. Not certain if we're going to see it against Teddy Bridgewater as much, but I think the Giants secondary is something that if I was a Denver fan, I would be a little hesitant with because I think they're underrated. Also, think Jabril Peppers, you're going to see him coming on the blitz. He's one of the better alley defenders, I would say, in the National Football League. And Julian Love is just a versatile player. Xavier McKinney is definitely somebody you can't overlook. He missed basically his entire rookie season. He came in in week 12, played a little bit. But by the end of the year, he's playing 70-plus snaps against the Dallas Cowboys. I really like what Xavier McKinney can probably bring. They are all somewhat interchangeable, I would say, Joe, all of these safeties, but they all also have their role. And I don't want to speak out of both sides of my mouth there, but you can see Jabril Peppers drop deep middle of the field. You'll see Julian Love do that. You'll see Logan Ryan do that. But then you'll also see each of those guys drop down in the box. You'll see each of those guys blitz. And that's what Patrick Graham wants. He wants to keep the offense on their toes because a lot of those guys can execute a lot of different roles for what he wants to do. And he, I mean, from pre to post snap, he can he can he can really confuse quarterbacks. So that's one thing I am looking forward to. But I mean, you guys have some playmakers there too, bro. And KJ Hamler is a player. I don't know how are you guys going to implement him?
2: I mean, I think he's going to be a slot like I think he's going to get designed touches. I think he is going to be mostly as a slot. I know Shermer likes to run slot fades. He is going to be the vertical threat. Um and then he's going to use some option stuff. That's, that's what they did in the preseason with him. and having him and Judy on the same side, basically it's, it creates conflict just because you're going to have one of them is able to separate. The other one's just going to run off the top and free him up. Uh, question for you. Uh, the edge rush is kind of like, well, there's two parts to this because you just kind of described exactly what I was wondering about, um, based on what I've seen. And again, I have kind of limited access to all 22 right now, but, uh, Graham did not send five that often last year, but at the same time, you guys don't necessarily have a premier edge rusher. Although I will say that when I watched Bobby Massey against Lorenzo Carter, Bobby Massey lost enough that I was actually pretty concerned about Bobby Massey coming into camp. Um, So I do think that that could be something that Broncos fans might be sleeping on, but, but what does Graham do to like really dial up the pass rush?
1: So you'll see a lot of games up front. You'll see the stunts and the twists, whether it be TE or ET. You'll see Leonard Williams be used in a lot of different manners, in a lot of different ways, I should say. You'll put him on the edge if he really wants to. I don't think that's going to happen as much this season now that the Giants actually have some edge rushers that they don't have to put like Jabal Sheard and David Mayo there. But I think you're going to see a lot of that in their four-man pressure packages. I mean, in their five-man pressure packages, they will bring the – whether it's a three-by-one set or a two-by-two set – whoever that closest defensive back is to the end man on the line of scrimmage, they'll sell that really, really well and bring him off. They'll drop a safety down into the box, whether it be Logan Ryan or Jabril Peppers, send him. And they like to run some A-plug as well. They'll just bring Blake Martinez up the A-gap and try to create interior pressure that way. Saw so in the preseason, them run a, 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 a twist in the A-gap with both linebackers. They sugared the A-gap and then they bailed out it prior in a play prior to that. And then in this play, it was a third down and it was Carter Coughlin, who's a former edge rusher. Now they're playing at linebacker along with Devonte Downs, who's no longer on the roster. And they just twisted against the Browns and ended up getting a sack fumble on that play, I believe. So I think those are the ways you're going to see uh, the pressure. I don't expect a, a lot of blitzing. It's not something they did last season uh, to a, like like the Ravens or something like that. But I do believe them to be able to get pressure with who they have. And I also think just bringing Lorenzo Carter up. That's somebody who tore his Achilles in week five. He's back. He looks good out there. Lorenzo Carter could, and this is his contract year. He could be a big surprise. And I've been on that Lorenzo Carter train since the Giants drafted him in the third round out of Georgia. I really love that pick. Hasn't necessarily come to fruition, but he's somebody that that has the athletic capabilities. He has the bend in his lower half. At least we saw that against the Patriots back in 2019. And then you add Aziz Jalari, another bulldog there. I mean, that's a pretty potent. Uh, duo, I would say, it, and especially when you consider Dexter Lawrence, 346 pounds or whatever the heck he is, along with Leonard Williams, who is a 300 pound, six foot five man with incredibly long arms, shouldn't be able to bend like he does. I, I really, I'm high on this Giants defense. I just hope they stay healthy. I, I trust in a lot of people who cover the Giants, who are around the Giants, who follow the Giants, trust Patrick Graham. He showed a lot last season. He was able to maximize the years for James Bradbury, for Blake Martinez, for Brill Peppers for Leonard Williams. They all had career years within this guy's defense. And I think uh, they they can build on that and and hopefully vault themselves into like a top eight, top five defense. But that's, you need a lot of offensive help for that to happen. You can't be put into a lot of crappy situations. That still remains a question mark.
2: Well, and that's, that's one of those things that I think Broncos fans are kind of taking for granted is how good this defense is and how surprising it could be for the Broncos offense. Cause again, Graham Graham is on the short list around the NFL for a lot of head coaching jobs, depending on how this year goes. So for those listening, like that, that is the matchup that I am most anxious about. Uh, just because the Broncos offense has a lot of questions. Obviously they were atrocious last year. Um, and again, I'm, I don't want to throw all that on drew lock because it wasn't just drew lock. Um, the Broncos centered Lloyd Cushenberry. Definitely. He started every, he started every game. He played every snap. He's the only offensive lineman for the Broncos who did but he was also probably the worst center in football. Um, and he was so bad that he actually made the guards look worse than they were because he couldn't hold up and pass pro. Uh, he was struggling with, and again, coordinators are good at this. They'll dial up situations that isolate you one-on-ones and Cushionberry couldn't hold up to that. His anchor was an issue in the preseason. It looked improved, but again, improving from the worst center in football doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be good. It means he might be below average. We'll see. Um, the good news is he has help around him with Dalton Reiser and Graham Glasgow, but then Bobby Massey is also a question. I think he's better than what the Broncos had last year on the offensive line. Uh, just because after Juwan James opted out, the Broncos right tackle situation was a tire fire for most of the season. Uh, but I think Bobby Massey, and I've said this before, so Broncos fans probably know this, but for, for a, such a tall player, he doesn't play tall, like in the, in a good way. He has long arms, but a lot of times people get into his frame and, but then, because he's so tall, they can get underneath him and control him. So it it, it it gives us it gives him issues with his anchor. Um, that said, like when he can buckle down, like yeah, he he's got the length to do it. But that is a concern for me against Carter. Um, and definitely, I loved Aziz Ojolari. Um, he was one of my top edge rushers. I if the Broncos were going to grab an edge, he was the guy I wanted the Broncos to grab. So I am very eager to see how he looks after pro coaching for the last you know how long. Uh special teams for me i feel like that's gonna be a net loss um i i think i've been conditioned by watching tom mcmahon for the last three years to just think that they're the shitty teams for the broncos like they're not actually special um and like obviously joe judge knows what he's doing so like that looks like an edge that should go your guys's way
1: it, it would appear that way and joe judge Thomas McGahey, who was the actual special teams coordinator, and Tom Quinn, who was the special teams coordinator under Tom Coughlin, they're all still on staff here. And those are three really, really brilliant minds. And also, they keep roster spots similar to the Patriots, specifically for special teams. Now, every team does that to, to an extent, but they kept two fullbacks, Elijah Penny and Colin Gillespie, who are ostensibly on the roster, probably because their input on special teams. They brought back Nate Ebner this week, special teamer uh, CJ Bohr got relegated to the practice squad. I don't know if he'll be one of the guys promoted, but they, they really put a high focus on special teams draft guys like cam Brown out of Penn state, who is like an insane athlete in terms of just incredibly long arms. I think he has like the 99th percentile in arm length for linebackers and he runs like a gazelle. So, I mean, he's usually – you, you can put that guy at Gunner as a linebacker. I don't know if they will, but they tried that out in preseason, and it didn't look that bad. I, I, I would like to imagine that the Giants have the special teams advantage in almost every game they go into. But then again, you look – mistakes can happen on special teams. All it takes is one breakdown and yep. – Cincinnati Bengals week 12 last year, they had a kick return for a touchdown and they would have had a second if Cam Brown's long arms didn't bail them out. So, I mean, breakdowns do happen. So there could be vulnerabilities there, but I, I gen, uh, generally trust the staff in terms of that phase of football. Really, I trust them in defense too. It's just the offense is the one thing that I'm, uh, and again, it's collective too. Like, I, I want to be fair. It's not just Jason Garrett. It's the young quarterback. It's the young offensive line. It's Jason Garrett. It, it's a collective effort in football. It's really never one person just assume all the blame, but the offense, I mean, we've been harping on it on the big blue banter podcast Dan and, and myself, and it's just, uh, it's, it could be problematic this season.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you this, just because you studied Shermer when he was with you guys, the rub in Broncos country is basically influenced by what last year was. And the Broncos had one of the three worst offenses in football last year. And again, I'm not saying it's any one person, but basically the Broncos fans are still basically saying the Broncos offense is going to be awful just because Shermer's awful. I've talked to a couple other people based on what I've seen. Again, I have faults with Shermer. So again, I'm not saying he's perfect either, but I don't think he's the worst coordinator in football. Like, am I crazy?
1: No, I actually think he's an above average coordinator. I didn't like him as a head coach. I just – I mean, I, I'm not a big proponent of somebody, unless you're like Andy Reid, calling the plays as the head coach and who's devoting all of his attention to – the, the offense. I, I want somebody who's going to uh, allow coordinators to do what coordinators do. And then they focus on the broad macro perspective. And that's not what Pat Shermer was doing with the Giants. However, Pat Shermer was able to unlock Daniel Jones. I mean, 24 and 12 with that offensive line, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions for over 3000 yards. And you, you saw some of the plays that Daniel Jones was able to make. I mean, you brought the slot fade. Uh, that Shermer likes to run we saw that in 2019 with golden tate who did really well i mean daniel jones threw a touchdown pass i think he was the first quarterback in like week six or seven i think it was week six to throw a touchdown pass in foxborough against the patriots against that really really talented 2019 patriots defense and pat Shermer, i feel like as a coordinator from what i remember he's somebody who made the made the offense easier for quarterbacks a lot of more half field high low reads get the football out of your hand uh, kind of concepts where Daniel Jones is kind of similar to what he did back at Duke when he was in an offense where it was literally, you know, they did, they ran a lot of RPO and stuff like that at Duke as well, but it was an offense that it was, you know, half field, uh, make a read, make a decision, get the football, you know, put a defender in conflict, get the football out of your hands. I think if you talk to a lot of giants fans, just for perspective, they would take Pat Shermer right now over as an offensive coordinator, not as a head coach over Jason Garrett in, in a heartbeat. So, I mean, I didn't watch a lot of Denver's film last year, so I can't really weigh into what he did for you guys. But what's your general uh, gripes? Because I remember some gripes we had with Shermer. He ran a lot of second and 10, and that pissed a lot of people off.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that that definitely held up. Uh, my biggest issue is, like, me personally. I feel like the Broncos ran too many ISO routes, and I kind of knew that coming in because I have I talked to Mark Schofield back when the Broncos hired Shermer, and I kind of had that idea that that was going to probably be a thing. But... Uh, I think you get to about the 30 like going in and he always dials up a shot play from about the 30. Like, that's just like a thing. Like one of those three downs is going to be devoted to just throwing it up. And hopefully somebody comes down with it. Uh, I, th- I would like to see more motion. Although I'm going to admit, I would say that about just about every coordinator in the NFL. I think motion it's a cheat code and, and coordinators. If you do it right, it helps your quarterback because it helps you identify things. You can create matchups. Like, so I, mm. I am a proponent of no one really does it enough uh, and I, th- I like play action. Obviously a lot of Broncos fans will stick to that just because drew lock is a different quarterback on play action versus an off play action. My argument there. And again, like on Twitter, this is hard to get into this too much because it's, you know, so, you know, black, white, but like, I thought Shermer did a good job adjusting over the course of the season to drew lock strengths. I thought it took too long. Um, but by season's end, like about Miami on, the Broncos were running a ton of play action. They were running a lot of play action boots rolling out to the right to take advantage of what Locke does to give him half field reads, to get him on the move, because Drew Locke had issues settling into the pocket. He would bail out of clean pockets. With Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think that's going to be a thing. Um and I think is going to be able to give him more pre pre snap reads where you can decide which way you want to go with the ball. And I think that caters to Shermer's strengths more. Um so I think that'll help. Um I also
1: think- go I mean, ahead. Shermer used a lot more single back than, uh, Scangarello. That's who that was your offensive player was before. Um,
2: basically that, that set him off on a bad, bad step. Right from the go. is basically when Shurmur was hired almost immediately afterwards, the Broncos dumped Andy Janovich to the Browns for a seventh round pick. Uh, this is, and again, this is on Elway as much as anything, this is like not even six months after Elway gave Andy Janovich a big extension. So like they gave him a big extension, he got hurt. And then they, they shipped him out for nothing. Um, and now Marquis Spencer, who was the Andy Janovich pick, got cut. So he's on the practice squad. But that's you, you turned a Pro Bowl fullback into a practice squad defensive lineman. That's not a
1: wise way to. Uh, I, I, why though? Was was Elway trying to philosophically get away from uh, multiple uh, that's, running back sets? That's
2: what it was. Was. And again, this is my understanding of it It was basically Basically, they just knew they weren't going to use him on offense. And then at that point, I, is it really worth paying a fullback? If you're just going to see it, like I went and looked at Shermer's fullback usage and it was like 18 snaps with the giants, like an actual fullback. Um, he just didn't use 21 personnel that often. Um, and with mm-hmm. the Broncos last year, he didn't use 21 personnel very often. And when the Broncos use 21 personnel, what they actually do is they have Andrew Beck, who's a tight end slash fullback who can play the role. Um, so what they'll do is they'll have him start out one way and then he'll motion back. Um, and that's, you don't need to pay a fullback if that's what you're doing. That's the same problem in the preseason. Fans were starting to get really high on Adam Prentice. I understand it. Adam Prentice is good. That's why he's going to probably make it in the NFL, but the Broncos don't need an actual fullback. They need an H back.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, there's the lines between 21 and 12 personnel are being blurred right now. Anyways. Yeah. If we're going to be honest, I mean, you, you, you see how Kyle Shanahan uses it. He'll have use check as an H back and then they'll motion him into a fullback. I said, I mean, he, he does so many different things with his personnel and, and, um, that's something that's kind of been happening, especially last season. I think we'll probably even see more of it this year.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the other complaints, a lot of people have, and again, lock lock magnifies this. And again, like fairly unfairly, because a lot of listeners on on my end, obviously are going to be big lock fans. Locke was drafted for the Kyle Shanahan type of offense. And like, you know, this as well as I do, the Kyle Shanahan offense de-emphasizes the reads a quarterback has to make because they do a good job dialing up open looks. Uh, Shermer mm-hmm. relies more on the quarterback to actually make the right read to get to the open guy. And that's not drew Lock's strengths and it never was. And so in a lot of ways he was miscast in the Shermer offense. And then COVID probably didn't help this in that. And again like i want to say Fangio said this right during you know the end of training camp is basically like this year you know 2020 instead of cooking like pasta we have to use some chef boy rd and it was this idea like we're just slapping together like base concepts doing what we can with it and i mean it all came to like you know ahead in the broncos game in las vegas where drew lock just had a complete meltdown um i want to say he had like a a 30 passer rating Uh, completed like 47% of his passes through, I want to say through four picks. I'm not looking at the numbers. So guys, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But, but at that point on, basically the Broncos tried to start to take the ball out of his hands. Some Broncos basically stopped running empty Uh, by Miami week. They basically were dialing more gap concepts up and using more play action to try and do that. And again, with Bridgewater, I think some of those stuff, like, I think we're going to see more empty. So I think that's going to be a thing because that's a good way to get the ball out of his hands quickly. It's also a way to spread out the defense And stress the secondary and kind of get away from the fact that the Giants are really, really strong right in the middle of the defense with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams.
0: Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the US like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.
1: That that would be the way to do it, to be honest. I mean, I've showed you that stat before this. I mean, not a lot of teams wanted to run up the gut against the Giants. I want to say it was like, it's been several years since uh, a team had, I don't have the stat in front of me, but it was like several years since a team faced outside runs as much as the Giants uh did on defense. You have it there? Uh,
2: yeah, I have it. So you share this with me so I want to give you all the credit with this. But uh, opponents rushed between the guards on only 41%, 41.9% of all rushes that you guys faced. And when football outsiders looked at it, it was the lowest rate since 2017
1: which is incredible when you really think about it. And then when you watch the games, you see it too. It's a lot of stretch zone, a lot of try to get around the edge. And that's what the Giants defense is set up to do. The Giants defense is set up when they're in those tight fronts on early rundowns to spill everything outside to contain defenders into secondary force defenders. And that's why the Giants put such a high priority on – on cornerbacks who can tackle who can come up and be aggressive and tackle if you can't tackle in this defense you're not going to play that's why Isaac Yadam found his way onto the field was because he was an aggressive player who was willing to tackle albeit he couldn't cover he couldn't man play man coverage and he was a liability in that sense kudos to Patrick Ram because he quickly quickly adapted against the Steelers it was evident on Monday night football that you know what man coverage might not be our thing by the time they were playing the Rams they were getting their zone defense all figured out and everything. And that was only a couple uh, weeks later, week three, I think it was, or week four actually after that 49ers debacle.
2: I'm really curious with Shermer to see how much the Broncos try to run inside zone because they ran a lot of inside zone last year. And that's Melvin Gordon's like key concept. Like that is his bread and butter concept. Uh, But honestly, like Javante Williams, the Broncos, again, we mentioned this, the Broncos traded up to draft Javante Williams. Javante Williams is actually best on like OH counter or like, GT counter, like he's better on gap concepts where he's not actually having to make the decision where to go to the ball. Um, And that is, that would be a way to kind of get him out on the, uh, the boundary. And Javante Williams is really good at breaking tackles. Like he's one of the better tackle breakers that I've like his contact balance is insane. Um, and that would be a good matchup of getting him against a DB. So I do think the Broncos are going to try and do that.
1: Yes, I 100 percent think that if the Giants are lining up in those tight fronts, trying to spill everything, and then if you also if you have Darnay Holmes out there, who's like five ten, 190 pounds on a good day, or, and he might be like 200, but he's five ten on a good day. I mean that that could be a not great, but he's an aggressive he's an aggressive smaller. A cornerback he's always gonna give it give it his all the Giants though I'll tell one thing man I mean it might sound like I'm negative on them these guys play for this coaching staff like yeah. there is there the the effort is going to be there hundred and twenty percent of the time and I think they have a lot of underrated players on their defense that if this team does start winning games and if they have that big game in prime time you know if they, if they get any of that I feel like they'd be more noticeable names guys like James Bradbury Blake Martinez and even Leonard Williams which I feel like Leonard Williams probably nationally gets a little bit more recognition than some of these other players but logan ryan as the leader too. logan ryan is one of the uh he's he's a pivotal part of this recipe on defense and i believe he's uh not really discussed enough amongst giants fans uh, his impact as somebody who ensures that everything's set up on the back end uh pre to post snap and also his ability to kind of trap quarterbacks into bad mistakes i'm a big uh logan ryan Logan Ryan fan. That's why he got that contract. And that was a pretty hefty contract at the end of the season. But hopefully he can uh, maintain young legs through his early
2: 30s. I really like James Bradbury. And I, I do think that he doesn't get as much recognition as he deserves. I scouted him for the scouting academy back when he was with the Panthers. So when you guys signed him, everyone was kind of panning that move when it first happened because it was like, oh, the numbers say this and the PFF grade says this. And again, I'm not trying to bash PFF, but, but like I, I remember going back over the tape and saying he's matching up against Mike Evans twice. He's matching up against Julio twice. Like he's going against, yeah, he's going against, honestly, probably one of the best divisions for receivers in football. Like, of course he's going to have some bad matchups like that happens, but the way he battled and the way he could stick on guys, like I, I assumed if he still had his legs. Cause again, I hadn't scouted him the year before you guys signed him, but I was like, if he still has his legs, like I have no doubt that he's going to be good.
1: Yeah. And he was maximized in this scheme. I mean, his ability to click and close and trust what he sees the route concepts in front of him when he is in zone, he's so quick to click and close downhill. And then he's also really, really disruptive, getting his hands into the catch point. I I'm I'm curious, and I want to get your take on this. I know Teddy Bridgewater is relatively new. Do you think he's, would he be a quarterback that'd be averse to kind of throwing towards a a number one type of cornerback? Or do you think he'll actually,
2: that won't even matter whatsoever? I think for, Based on what I know of Bridgewater, because I, I went back over his Carolina tape, uh, I mean he'll throw at a number one corner if the concept's getting the guy open. Bridgewater's yeah. one of those guys that when he's dialed in, it's basically like where the play is taking the ball, he'll take the ball, um, and that's honestly that that's bitten him in the past. Like people say that Bridgewater's the safe option, and I get it on one level, but it's not like he won't throw picks. Like, and again, this is one of those things that like Broncos fans like don't lose your minds if he throws an interception. It might happen. Um, but, but he's accurate and he, he plays within the offense and he puts the ball in the people's hands. That's why they went with him. But yeah, I do think he will be willing to throw the ball. Um, I'm curious, and this is something I'm really looking for this year. One of my biggest critiques of Bridgewater off the tape I've seen is that he is too conservative at times. Um, he doesn't go deep. He'll take the easy completions and Shermer will dial up shots. So it's like, you got to take those shots if they're there. So I'm curious, kind of like that push pull, if like if Bridgewater kind of meets Shermer, or if Shermer has to deal with the fact that he doesn't have that.
1: That's in, that's interesting to be honest, because I'm just thinking back to Pat Shermer as the head coach of the Giants. He dialed up those shots for Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones, he hit those shots. I mean, Darius Slayton was a was a breakout, I guess you could say, rookie as a fifth round pick, maximizing those yards on those types of plays down the field, usually in slot fade type of situations. And last year he kind of had a down year as that ex-receiver in Jason Garrett's scheme. It wasn't, he was kind of uh, pigeonholed into a role that might've been a little bit too big for him. And now he's a fourth receiver or uh, yeah, I guess you could say uh, you got Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard. And then I don't know how you feel about Kadarius Tony. It's hard to really know where he's at right now. And then you have Darius Slayton, who I still think will be involved. But uh, I think there's a lot of interesting matchups here, Joe. It, it is. really is. Um, I mean, my biggest concern matchup would easily be those edges against the Giants' offensive line. What would be your biggest concern with the uh, for the, going in the Giants' favor? What do you think the Giants may have over the Broncos?
2: I am really nervous about the interior of the Broncos' def- uh, The interior of the Broncos' offensive line against Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence, just because throughout and again, the Broncos have a pretty good defensive line. But throughout the preseason and camp, we kept hearing about how like the interior pressure was causing issues through camp. And then again, when I went through and looked at uh, Lloyd Cushenberry in the preseason, he was giving ground to second team defensive linemen because the Broncos played the Broncos went three and in the preseason, but the Broncos didn't play anybody. Everybody was resting starters like the Rams didn't play anybody. The Seahawks didn't play anybody. The Vikings had 30 something starters sitting like starters and then like a lot of primary backups were sitting. So yeah, they went three and zero, but they weren't playing anybody. And Leonard uh, Lloyd Cushenberry was still giving some ground. So against somebody like Leonard Williams, and again, like I think a lot of Leonard Williams, I don't think he. I think he gets some hype, but I don't think he gets what he actually deserves based on like he's an animal. Like he's he's a Planet Theory guy, and, and you probably know this from like the Bill Parcells. Like for listeners, like Planet Theory, like there are only so many 300 pound men who have the actual agility and burst to like really create issues as a pass rusher. Leonard Williams is one of those guys and Dexter Lawrence for how big he is. Like he has that too. Like he's twitchy for a big guy and that's going to be an issue because if the middle of the uh, the offensive line is collapsing, that's going to push Bridgewater into scramble situations. And he's, I think he's going to be better under pressure than drew Locke was a season ago. But that's because Drew Locke was abysmal against pressure a season ago. That's not because Teddy Bridgewater is going to be good at it. So that is one of those X factors I'm really nervous about. uh, Just because I think ideally the Broncos want to be able to pass the ball. And that that would make that hard. Uh, In terms of the Broncos defense against the Giants offense, the thing I'm most nervous about is Saquon Barkley against the linebackers.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I would uh, circle as something that I'm excited to see. But again, I'm also just excited to see Saquon Barkley back out there. There's one more player I do want to ask you about. And that's Garrett Bowles. Because first off, I want to ask you, how is it having one of the premier offensive line coaches in the National Football League? Because Giants fans, we've been just complaining so much because we never get one. And it seems like Mike Munchak is up there with Bill Callahan as a one and two.
2: He is. And what's weird about it is the Broncos, like, first of all, the Broncos still have had a lot of issues with their offensive line. Uh, I want to say about a month or so ago, I actually had a conversation with somebody on cover Two, where I asked him, well, how long until we start to say, well, Mike Munchuck's not doing his job. And again, I said this not to like suddenly dial up the heat on it, because I think there's obviously a lot to this Um, because the Broncos problems on the offensive line, a lot of it is collecting talent. They paid Juwan James a lot of money, and then he basically has been a like he was a huge free agent bust. And then Elway drafted Lloyd Cushenberry, who so far has not put it together. Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow are free agent additions, and then they waited on Garrett Bowles to kind of put it together. Um, I think Garrett Bowles is kind of like like the guy you hold up on the pedestal of proof that Mike Munchak knows what he's doing. And again, I think he does. Like, I'm not trying to say he doesn't, yeah. but Garrett Bowles went from being one of the biggest busts in the 2017 draft to last year, he got an all pro nod. And, and I I think you and I both keep up with Brandon Thorne. Like, I think the all pro nod might've been a little bit rich. Um, not to say he, he, he allowed eight pressures by uh, sports info solutions charting. So he, he played really well. But when I talked to Thorne and when I've gone back over his tape, like he still does have some issues with his hands. Like his hands are still kind of coming along. So I think he could lose to a premier rusher. And the other problem is Dalton Reisner had a lot of issues with stunts last year, which again is why I asked you about what Graham's going to do, because when when you isolate Dalton Reisner against speed, he's had a lot of issues. Um, and obviously the Broncos will probably slide the protection towards the right side to try and isolate Bulls because they can trust him. But that might cause issues if he's dealing with somebody coming late and he's not ready for it. Yeah,
1: you're going to be seeing some TE stunts. Then you're going to see Dexter Lawrence as the penetrator, and then probably Leonard Williams as the looper, which isn't necessarily great uh, for for you guys. Because again, like you said, I mean that's somebody who can bend too. Like that's another part of Leonard Williams' game. Not a lot of people talk about. He can bend. Like I'm not talking about Von Miller around the edge type of bend, but for a 300 pound dude with that length i mean that's why one of the reasons why the giants paid him another one is because they invested a third round pick in an impending free agent and he also came was coming off in 11 and a half sack season so you're not going to not pay that guy but i mean he earned his he earned his bread bro so i'm happy for him and uh i mean i'm wondering i mean the giants had 40 without an edge rusher last year really i mean kyler fackrell was like their best edge rusher after oshane zimenez and lorenzo carter missed the season kyler is not there anymore now you get Lorenzo Carter back, you add Aziz Ojalari. Sadly, Ellerson Smith is on the uh, IR right now. But with these edge rushers, I think the Giants can eclipse the 40 sacks that they had last year. And I'm, uh, I'm interested to see how they do that or how many they can
2: even get against Teddy Bridgewater in this offense. Yeah, definitely. So to put you under the spot, I, and, and I know I originally asked you like who will win and why, but I, I think this is kind of the better way to look at this. If the Giants win, how do you picture it kind of coming together?
1: The Giants win this game. I think there could be a special teams mistake. I think the defense could take advantage of Teddy Bridgewater, maybe force a turnover or two, create a short field where Jason Garrett and the offense can have an easier path to kind of scoring. Because the the offense last year with the Giants, there was a lot of like 12, 13, 15 play drives. All right, we're in the red zone. Okay, we can't cash in. We got to kick a field goal. So hopefully that can change it. But I think it's going to be more on on the defense and the special teams rather than the offense if they were to win this game but i will say on the offensive side i think that with this Saquon barkley back i think you can get explosive plays much easier which was the biggest bugaboo for this team last year so you're talking about one run that hits right it could be a really really explosive play and if they can get the ball rolling and they can establish the run i think maybe they can just kind of possess the ball enough but i don't really trust the the team to be efficient on third down. So that's why I've definitely more towards the defense, but I would not be shocked. If we see one explosive play from the giants offense, which is something that we would love as giants fans. Cause it didn't happen a lot last year.
2: If the Broncos win, what do you think it's going to look like?
1: Not ah, strip sack. Ugh, we, we've seen a way too much. I, I think they uh, are going to see Daniel Jones under a lot of pressure. I think it's going to be, I just think in general, it's probably going to be like an ugly 20 to 16, you know, maybe I don't even know if 17-14, that's a little bit maybe really ugly, but like a 20-16 to 16 type of win where there's a lot of field goals and it's just kind of gross. But I think it's just defense just getting at the Daniel Jones, Andrew Thomas just surrendering pressures, similar to what we saw in the Arizona game last year against Vance Joseph's defense and what we saw against a lot of the Dallas Cowboys in the Week 5 loss, which was another abysmal performance by the offensive line. I think it would be because of that. And then Teddy Bridgewater is just not making mistakes. He may not be doing – you know putting up 350 passing yards or anything like that, but he's doing enough to allow Pat Shermer to stay on script to get them into scoring position, to either cash in with touchdowns or kick enough field goals to outscore the Giants offense. That's going to be struggling because of the pass rush you guys have.
2: I kind of hope that's how it looks. I I, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Understandable. Uh, How much, and this is kind of as an aside, how much do you watch college football then? I watch, watch a lot, yeah.
1: Yeah, I watch college football.
2: What do you think of this quarterback class? I just have to ask you. Because, again, if Daniel Jones does not pan out, you guys are back in the quarterback market. Obviously, the Broncos now now that they benched Locke, are almost definitely back in the quarterback market. Like, the, the, the consensus seems to be that this class is not going to be what last year's class was. Although, last year's class was – I want to say it was special.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I wanted to say that. I wanted to say it's hard to – put those classes next to each other because last year's class was really, really special with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, I mean, Lance, Justin Fields. And then you got Mac Jones. who a lot of people are just like, I ah, Mac Jones, whatever. But I'm like, dude, Mac Jones is, is, is solid. Like he's, and he landed in a perfect situation as well. But this class, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm fully spun up on these prospects, but I look at Rattler and I see an athletic player who struggled in week one. It could be week one jitters. Who really knows? It's kind of hard to to say Uh, Hal definitely struggled as well. Sam Hal from um, North Carolina. I mean, he's a little bit smaller undersized. I, 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 I don't know if I would love that for New York, but the giants are always looking for like a, like a, a tall, Daniel Jones, Eli Manning type of guy who's never going to to attract a lot of attention to themselves, kind of kind of like player. And I don't really know if there's anybody, like, I don't know enough, I guess, about the quarterbacks to see if there's going to be a player like that. But they're always looking for that that politician type of uh, guy who's going to say all the right stuff in the interview. And uh, obviously, they're going to have to be able to play. But just looking at it as a whole, the kid from um, Liberty has a pretty intriguing skill set. Malik Willis. Yeah. Malik Willis. He has a big arm. And then Carson Strong, he has a huge arm. Uh, I think he threw an interception this week. But, I mean, that was an exciting game as well. I'm trying to think of other other guys off the top of my head right now. Carson Strong was one that definitely – just because of arm talent, and that's what I love. And Willis has arm talent too. So, I an mean, arm talent perspective. Those two uh, intrigue me. But, I mean, I, I'm not going to – I can't make a declaration just yeah, it's so,
2: it's because it's so – I mean, I, yeah. I, know, I know we all have to, like, you know, write – write exactly the book on what you know what it is after the first week because that's you know the only week that matters but exactly
1: do you have one one that you really like for for denver no i hate this class
2: Uh, (laughs) i'll be i'll be honest uh i mean i'm and again i'm 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 not writing the book on it yet uh but but i went into this thinking that i had spencer rattler if he would have come out last year based on what i had seen of him he would have been probably the fifth quarterback before jones but uh but i liked all the other four more than him Um, and he had a, you know, like you said, he had a down first game. I did not like Howell. Uh, because of Javante Williams, I have watched a lot of Howell. I actually went over his tape twice. Granted, I was watching Williams, but then I got caught up because the narrative in Broncos local media from a couple different analysts was basically like, oh, why draft a quarterback in 2021 when you can just get Sam Howell in 2022? So I was like, okay, okay. So how good is Sam Howell? And I watched him. I see poor man Baker Mayfield. Um, and again, I liked Baker a lot but I don't want poor man Baker Mayfield in the first round. Like that guy's not going to save you. And like, we've seen what Baker Mayfield's done. Like he's okay, but he's not, you don't want to, you're not pining your hopes on that guy. Um, those are the two. So
1: long goes offense too. I mean, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, and it, but like I, I saw last year's tape and it was basically, I saw a guy who, again, to his credit, he was making the most of it, but he had, two NFL caliber running backs. He had two underrated receivers Yes, and and yes, his offensive line was trouble, but I didn't see, I didn't see a guy that I thought was going to succeed without that help around him. And again, so far he's lived up to that. So we'll see. Um, I'm curious to see more of strong. I'd like to see Malik Willis. I did not catch his first game. I I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, I know people are talking about Desmond Ritter. Uh, when I talked to Mark Schofield, he mentioned the guy from Boston college. I'm going to slaughter his name. Uh, uh, Juice Juse, of or Ju, Ju of Um, and again, that's not it. I, I've read it a hundred times, I can't pronounce it. Um, but he's at Boston College, they played against Colgate and he looked really good. Uh, so I'm curious to see him more. But for me, like where I'm landing with the Broncos right now, I really hope Aaron Rodgers comes if they're going into a quarterback market. Obviously, uh, maybe Matt Ryan if the Falcons, you know, shit the bed. Uh, I hope it's not Kirk Cousins. I'm not a big Kirk Cousins guy. Uh, oh, really? No, I just, I, I, I think he's better than the, the worst critics of him, Yeah, but he's a guy that you don't want to pay. You don't want to pay. Like I'm of the opinion, you should not pay an average quarterback, $30 million. And I think Kirk cousins is in that like second ish tier of like, he's top. He's like on a good year. He's in the top 10, like right at the edge of the top 10, but he's probably hovering around like 16, 17 to 10. And you don't want to give that guy 30 million because then you don't have the supporting cast to get him into the top 10. No, and that's, that's honestly... Something. Oh, yeah. ahead,
1: I was just going to say that's something that Dan and myself, we bring up a lot on this podcast. That's kind of our thing with Daniel Jones right now. It's like, what is Daniel Jones ceiling? Is it Jared Goff? Is it like an athlete, a more athletic Jared Goff? Like that? you don't want to pay money to someone like that. Like, honestly, when I when I viewed Daniel Jones coming out of Duke, like I saw like the athleticism, I saw how there was no nothing around him, but... I watched like seven of his games before the Giants drafted him, and I ended up with like a, a sec- mid second round grade, I think, on my little grading scale. You sound so, like me. yeah. So, like, when I, the Giants drafted him, you know, in six, I was like, oh, geez. But, like, I, you're going to have to make a decision on him. And, and again, I don't think those physical tools are quite there. Similar to what you're talking about with Kirk Cousins, it's like his ceiling might be like 14, you know? something like that for 13, 14. I don't know if he's ever going to be like a top 10 talent in this league. And that's also because there's a lot of damn good quarterbacks in this league.
2: Yep. Well, and that's, that was my fear with Locke. And again, I feel like I'm beating up on Locke. So I apologize listeners if you guys are getting mad about this. But Locke, when Locke came out, I watched every one of his games and I didn't have all the All-22, but I watched as much of his games and I watched as much of the All-22 as I could. Locke has lived up to exactly what I thought he was going to be when he came out. I thought he was going to be a roller coaster. I thought we were going to get some highlight plays and I thought we were going to get a lot of bad if he was rushed into action too soon. And, and again, Broncos fans want to point to the winning record, his rookie season, but they overlooked the fact that the Broncos didn't play anybody in those games. Um, The Broncos played against the chargers who were tire fire, the Texans who didn't have any tape on him and they didn't have a defense. The Broncos beat the Raiders. Like they didn't play anybody. They lost the chiefs and he looked abysmal. So, and then last year, obviously is last year, um, but again, he's been exactly what I want. So like my fear going into this year, if he won the competition was the Broncos schedule is very forgiving, which is kind of interesting because the AFC West is a murderer's row, but you look outside of the AFC West, like the Broncos are going to get to play the whole NFC East outside of the Cowboys. That should be opportunity to win at least of those two of those games. Like I would think the Broncos should be able to beat the Eagles. The Broncos had the Lions like the Broncos have games where they should come out ahead of this. And if George Payton is a QB wins guy, my fear was that he was going to give Drew Locke $20 million off of that. And that's honestly my fear with Teddy Bridgewater now is like Teddy Bridgewater is on an expiring contract after this year. I don't want them to overpay him, but I do think that he could be a pretty decent quarterback with the surrounding cast he has around him.
1: Yeah, that's the hope for you guys. I mean, I can see that. I think there's definitely a path for Teddy Bridgewater to be able to do that. But what? I mean, he's going to probably be nothing more than some sort of bridge for you guys. I would a imagine point a point I'm guard Yeah, I'm trying to like a like a like an Alex Smith or something exactly. like that in the Kansas City Chiefs, or I'm, trying to think of someone modern. Like, what other teams are in that situation where they have like like the Lions are in that situation right now with Jared Goff. Potentially, I mean, they they have people who are in the Rams front office who drafted Goff, so maybe they're going to – I mean, what is he, like 26 years old? Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. if they have the first overall pick, they might be tempted to take a quarterback next year. So there's a couple teams that are in that potential quarterback market for next season, Broncos, Giants could be, who knows. I mean, I think a lot of it is also going to depend on Dave Gettleman's job status. I think if Gettleman is there, Daniel Jones is going to get an opportunity. But there's still so much to play out, so maybe I shouldn't make that declaration
2: just yet. Do you think the Giants make the playoffs this year? I uh,
1: I'm I think they could. I, I, if I had to pick teams right now, I probably would say no. Though I, I I would say no. I think the NFC West is way too strong. I like the Vikings and the, and the Packers up north. I think the uh, in the South. I mean, like you look at it and you you kind of try to narrow teams down. You're like, oh crap, I don't have the Saints making it. And you're like. Can I not have Sean Payton making it like yeah. in that defense? And, and you start really questioning it. So I don't know if there's going to be multiple teams. So I think the avenue for them to make the playoffs would be to win the division. And I don't know if I mean Dak Prescott looked good last night. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he looked really good. And and the Dallas Cowboys looked
2: really good just in general. So I, I'd probably say no as of right now, sadly. So on the same note, do you think the Broncos make the playoffs? And you can say no because you just said the Giants won't. So no not
0: you know don't
2: <laughs> too mad.
1: I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Probably. Um, I'm trying to like go through the wild card teams. Because I mean, in your own division, I, I guess. Yeah. And you could me if I'm wrong here. You'd probably be third. And I don't know if there'd be anybody who would argue that the Raiders were better than you. But people would probably put the Chargers over the Broncos right now. I'd imagine. Like, would you? Would, do you? Where do you see that?
2: I think that it's a fair argument to say that because I do think the Chargers have. a I mean, the Chargers have a quarterback, and the Broncos have hopefully a guy who can be the bridge quarterback. Like that's where they're at. I think the Broncos roster outside of quarterback is probably better than the chargers right now, but okay. I think Brandon Staley. And again, this isn't me, you know, I think they're close enough that based on like kind of what happens, the Broncos could emerge as the number two, but I think it doesn't surprise me that like you can convince me that the Chargers are the better team. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to fight that, I um, but I, but I do think like the chiefs are going to run the division unless, you know, Patrick Mahomes gets hurt and, if anybody's quarterback gets hurt, you know, all bets are off. So like, that's not something you can really count on. Uh, For me, the one thing that I think is really working in the Broncos favor is first of all, the schedule, like is pretty favorable. I think the Raiders are going to be a tire fire. Like I think they're going to be pretty bad. I think this is going to be the year where everybody's starting to say like, why the heck isn't John Gruden on the hot seat? And then everybody's going to turn around and be like, oh yeah, his contract Um, because they've done very little, like in the years that he's been there so far. And they don't really look like they have a long-term plan in place. Uh, but the Colts, I don't believe Carson Wentz is going to be the answer for them. And I think that that's going to really hurt. Uh, I think the Ravens are going to be like the Ravens look on paper, like they should be a super bowl team. Like to me, they look like probably one of the two or three best teams in the AFC West or AFC outside of the chiefs, but they're, I mean, we're not even to week one and they're dealing with, they're down to their third string running back. Like that's in a 17 game season. That's insane. Like that's not great. And their offense needs running backs. I think Lamar Jackson will help whoever's there, but like the Broncos had this happen, you know, back in like 2000, I want to say 2007. I might have the year wrong. They had to hire Tatum Bell out of a cell phone kiosk at a mall because Mm -hmm. their running back situation was just that desperate. And again, this happened over the course of the season. The Ravens are starting the year kind of starting to look like that. So that kind of hurts them. Um, Maybe I think the Steelers are going to be down. So I think that helps. Um, So I, I think the Broncos can make the playoffs. I'm also sipping the Kool-Aid a little bit because I believe in this roster. I think if Aaron Rodgers would have came to the Broncos, they were the Super Bowl favorite, them and the Chiefs. Um, Obviously, that didn't happen. But I think there's enough help for Teddy Bridgewater to look like the 16th best quarterback. And I think that if the defense is as good as Fangio can make this defense, I think that might be enough.
1: It's definitely not unreasonable, especially because you guys have the AFC South. <laughs> <It> helps, <laughs> if, the Colts, yeah. if the Colts can't put it together, then you really just have the Titans and whatever defense they decide to put out there. And then the AFC East, I mean, I think the Patriots will bounce back a little bit. Miami, I think, is a team that could you know definitely make the playoffs this year. You have the Bills, but I don't really expect much from the Jets. I don't know. I mean, that's definitely a good argument. They're definitely a team I wouldn't be shocked if they make it. I'm trying to like – the only teams that I wouldn't – would be, I think, shocked to make the playoffs would be the Texans, the lions, the Texans and the lions probably. And then maybe the jets. Yeah. Sam, And then, and And and, and, Jags, Jags, maybe
2: (laughs) my, Oh man. And again, we're getting like way off the rails here. The Broncos have the Jaguars next. I am super, super curious to see how that goes just because like urban Meyer was a good college coach, but like everything that's kind of happened since he's joined the Jaguars kind of paints a picture of like a guy who's in over his head a little bit and doesn't really realize it. And they have Trevor Lawrence, but the Broncos are catching Trevor Lawrence in week two instead of, you know, week 16 where he's actually kind of figured it out. That helps me too.
1: Especially big Fangio against a a young quarterback. I mean, he should help. I I think so.
2: (laughs) So cool. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. I'm keeping you forever. Uh, what, you you do a better job like where can people find you what are you working on like what have you written lately like you sent me a really great piece guys if you are listening to this and have not read that yet go read it because like i i do these you know each week i send you know i i like ask somebody like please you know help me answer some questions most people don't go as in-depth as you do and thank you it was awesome like i i felt like i have a much better grasp of the giants because of you so i really appreciate it I
1: appreciate you having me on the Cover Two podcast, man. I mean, this was a lot of fun just talking shop. And if anybody wants to find my work, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Falato. It's just my name, F A L A T O. And myself and CBS's Dan Schneier host the Big Blue Banter podcast. You can find a lot of our Giants content. We focus on the All 22 film. Game Pass, please get that up really soon. Breaking down kind of. (laughs) Exactly. Breaking down the Giants from an evaluatory uh, perspective. And, uh, Yeah, you can also find me at Big Blue View, SB Nation, Giants Country for Sports Illustrated, uh, content all about the uh, New York Giants.